podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? A mere one point off you. How are you? I am absolutely tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. I am a, a defeat of Watford away from the top of the league, which is always a joy to behold. And um, that really would put City under some pressure if we beat Watford and they have to go then and beat Burnley, which, I mean, they'll probably do it, but... It'd be nice if they had the pressure of having to do it, wouldn't it? They've got to go to Turf more and get a result. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. But Burnley are just a weird team and, and they'll make it tough. At least it'll be a physical game and they might kick a few City players. But we've seen City this season a couple of times in pressure situations not react all that well. And while you would expect them to beat Burnley, strange things happen. Arsenal expected to beat Burnley a few weeks ago. I know City are an awful lot better than Arsenal. But Burnley went to the Emirates and got a point. So, you know, maybe they can just make it tough for them. But it'll set up the following game then nicely, which is ourselves going to the Etihad. But, Carl, I want to talk with... I want to get your thoughts on the Arsenal game, but before we do, I just want to quickly look at the games beyond that Liverpool City game because a lot of people have said, a lot of people have said that's the game that decides the title, and I don't know that that's true because after that game, they still have to go to Molyneux and go play West Ham at West Ham, and neither of them are particularly easy games. We saw how much of a tough time Wolves gave them the first time around. And West Ham at home are a very difficult side to beat. I think, um, obviously, we want them to drop points against Watford and, uh, sorry, against Burnley, and we want ourselves to, to beat Watford. But it hasn't got to be this exact way round. You know, they, they, they can drop points on the last day of the season at West Ham or against Leeds or just a shock defeat to, I don't know, Wolves or whoever. It doesn't really matter where it is, and you can't just assume that if we do beat Watford and go top, then that's it. And, you know, they're, they're not going to be doing anything else for the rest of the season. There will probably be a game for both teams between now and the end of the season where you drop points and you think, oh, no, that's cost us the title. But for one of those teams, it won't be. I mean, the likelihood of Liverpool ending the season on what would be, I think, what, a, would it be a 17-match winning streak or something like that? Would just, 18. 18-match uh, winning streak. Look, it could happen because we're really, really good, but the likelihood of it happening is minuscule, really, yeah. really tiny. So it doesn't have to be against Watford that we go top. It doesn't have to be uh, after the Burnley match where we stay top. It just has to be at some point. And the fact that we're 
really, really close to them now is um, an unbelievable testament to just how well this side has responded sort of this side of the new year, to be honest. Yeah, I totally agree. And look, people say, oh, Liverpool have to go and beat them at, at the Etihad. No, we don't. A draw could be enough because, like I said, they could drop points after that. We have difficult games after that as well, but ours are at home. We get United at home. We get Everton at home. We get Spurs at home. We get Wolves at home. They're our toughest games. Like, I think we go to Villa. We go to uh, Southampton, is it? And I think we go to Newcastle. But they're all games we should win. So, you know, our tougher games are at home. Their tougher games are away from home. And they're the type of team that don't necessarily play well from behind. So if if Wolves or West Ham can get one up on them, that becomes difficult. They've also got Villa on the final day of the season. And that's a tough one for them as well. And that's a nice narrative. You know, Stevie G and Phil Coutinho and all his winners. <laughs> I'm telling you. If we if if they win if they beat City and we win the league because of it, I'm demanding medals for the two boys. I'm demanding <laughs> medals for them. Danny Ings can have one. He, even Danny Ings can get one. But we're sending them something. We'll send them. We'll fucking buy, buy buy them whatever they want. We'll bring them to the shop and we'll buy them whatever they want. Um, last night we beat Arsenal two 0 and if you were to only. If you had no eyes and listened to Gary Neville and Martin Tyler describe it, we were very lucky to win 2-0. If you went on social media and read some of the things being said, we were completely outplayed and dominated. If you listened to Mikel Arteta, we were second to everything. But that wasn't what I saw. Now, what did you see? What did you think of the game? Well, I saw the actual match which happened and which sort of followed most of the pattern of recent games where teams, when they have the ball and think they're in dangerous areas, are not. Um, Arsenal matched Liverpool for shots last night. They did not match Liverpool for quality of chances. That's the big thing. They had one really good chance, and that was the Odegaard one, and we saved it. Alisson saved it. That's the only one, and they didn't even create that themselves. That was obviously a misplaced pass from Thiago. Liverpool did what Liverpool had done for most of the last eight weeks, to be honest, which is really, really work hard in terms of shutting people down. Not giving them anywhere to go, forcing them into bad areas and taking shots on from ridiculous angles. I mean, the the Martinelli chance, chance I say, right at the end of the game where he curled it wide. That was a really, really good shot, and he almost got it on target, but he didn't. And it wasn't a good quality chance. It was just well, really, really well taken. But that's not what you call a high quality chance. He's got to bend it outside a defender, around the keeper, and find a tiny, tiny mm. postage stamp size spot in the bottom corner for that to be a goal or the top corner. And the likelihood of that happening is probably a little bit more than the likelihood of Liverpool going uh, winning every single match from now until the end of the season, but not much. I think it was a 3% uh, XG chance, that one, uh, from Martinelli. So they had one chance. Their XG for the whole game was like 0.55. That tells you the quality of chances. Never mind you know, cutbacks, which we dealt with quite well in the main. There was a couple of really looked dangerous ones but they weren't because there was nobody in the box because you forced them out wide and you forced them to work really really hard to get into those areas in the first place there's nobody to give it to at the end of it and other than that the two center backs were superb so all of the stuff that Arsenal could throw at us we soaked up we denied everything without that back pass from Thiago that led to Odegaard's shot I think their xg was like 0.28 or something like that which is you know lead sort of standard when we played them almost as low as that um 
We went at our best going forward. We were pretty terrible on the ball in the first half, I thought. The midfield didn't really work particularly well in terms of possession. But two things. One, we have real, real quality and depth now in attack, and that made a difference. And two, we have just individual quality, and that made a difference as well. I mean, Firmino's goal, for example, I mean, he won the ball. He set up a chance. He stayed unmarked for about 12 seconds, walking between those two centre-backs, and then he scored. That kind of sums up the difference at the minute between what we have and what a lot of other teams have. He's, if you, you know, think about it that way, probably about fifth choice forward right at this moment in time. So I think that that underlines how far we've come, considering we didn't even have five forwards, never mind who was fifth and how good they were, uh, not all that long ago. Um, but also just the relentlessness and this single-minded behaviour that Klopp has instilled in the entire team, really. And uh, long may that continue. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, I thought we were fairly poor first half it, it, on the ball, sloppy more than anything. Yeah. And they were Not probably, but they were probably as good as they could be in that first half. And they created nothing. They didn't even worry us. Like, Martin Tyler nearly jumped out of his seat when Xhaka took a shot that almost hit the corner flag. That's the level of excitement there was. They, we allowed them to play their game where we wanted them to play the game. That's basically what it was. In the first half, we had more of the ball. We had the two best chances, the Mane one right before the break and the Van Dijk header that uh, Ramsdale saved that Van Dijk was furious with himself about. In the second half, we had the Jota goal, the Firmino goal, and just before the Firmino goal, when Salah stole the ball off Thiago's foot for reasons known only to Salah, we had five, I would say, good chances in that game. They had two. And one of them, like you said, is that Martinelli one right at the end, which is really difficult. That's the only one they created themselves. Apart from that, the only other shot they had on target, other than the Odegaard one, was that tamely struck shot by Saka about two minutes after the Odegaard one from the edge of the box that Ali saved easily. And that's it. That's all they mustered. We had more of the ball. We had the best chances. We scored two goals. We had more corners. We had more of the ball. We just like what? What is it that they did that I'm supposed to be really impressed by last night? I said to you, when we did the scout, what did I say? Punch them in the face and they'll curl into a ball. And what happened? We punched them in the face with the Jota goal and they curled into a little ball and didn't fight back. And we got the second and they gave up. They just gave up. Our tennis subs, even Neville, was saying on the broadcast, oh, he's resting now, Saka and Odegaard, for the weekend. He knows this game is gone. There was nearly half an hour left when the second goal went in. But they had nothing to offer us because he had no plan B. Because it's one thing when you're setting a team up with a week to plan for a game and you can just work on what you want to work on. It's a completely different thing when that plan doesn't work and all of a sudden you have to make in-game adjustments. And he, I thought Arteta got found out last night. No in-game adjustments. A spineless performance once his team went behind. The camera panned to him after the first goal and he had that oh shit look on his face. You know that look where someone who's not supposed to be somewhere gets when they get caught? Mm. 
that's what he looked like. He looked like a fella that had no idea what he was meant to do from there. And his whole team just kind of slumped. And I've said to you before, there's no leadership in that team. There's a soft underbelly. And I thought that shone true last night. We got that first goal and they just crumbled. Like, as you said, Bobby was literally strolling about in their penalty area with nobody thinking, just maybe I should, maybe I should mark him. Like, White and Gabrielle completely oblivious to the fact that Firmino's just having a little jaunt about in their box. Yeah, I, I think we were substantially the better team. Um, and, and I don't really have any kind of concerns over that Arsenal team anytime soon. Uh, anything else about the game you want to touch on before we move on? Just, I think, the individual performances which were particularly standout. Mm. I thought Ali was great, even aside from the big save, uh, his starting position, clearing up those few long, 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 long balls that they played in behind. Distribution really good. Aerials, fantastic. And obviously, at the very, very biggest of moments, what was it, two minutes between the chance and the goal? And it kind of shows you just what we've got there with a the goalkeeper compared to what was at the other end and what went in past him. Um, Saka, been in ridiculously good form. I thought Robertson was really good against him last night. Uh, Fabinho first half was pretty monstrous. With He was pretty much the only one doing anything uh, in that centre zone there in terms of shutting them down and stopping the shots and tackles and all the rest of that stuff. And uh, Joel Matip, that was a pretty monstrous performance from him as well. Yeah, and I think Trent warrants mention as well because Martinelli was their danger. They were overloading to the right to switch to the left and try and get him 1v1 with Trent. And he didn't create anything. He had that one late chance and that was it. That's the only side of goal he really got. I thought Trent did a brilliant job uh, in in very trying circumstances because he had no help. Yeah, exactly that. I was going to say that there's there was a lot of things after Klopp's comments last night saying, oh, how good he was. And, you know, if anyone says he can't defend, he'd knock him down. And then those people coming out and said, Martinelli went past him like five times. He did because there was nobody tracking back with him. It was like 58 minutes, I think, or 68 minutes. I can't remember now, which was the first time Henderson actually positioned himself where he's supposed to be in those situations, just inside to Trent's left so that you cannot just chop inside. That was the first no, time. No, he did it once before and he yeah. got nutmegged. Uh, oh no, no, no! Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think that was a yeah. So, but that, that was it. A, yeah, that was a track and back rather than an already stationed one there. I mean, yeah. Before so, he, he got no help from Henderson. Who'd another stinker last night. Mane just didn't look didn't look comfortable on the right, which is a bit weird considering he played most of his career on the right till the last few years when Klopp moved and once we got Salah. So, you know, Mane wasn't great. He wasn't much help. Henderson was no help. Fab was left having to do an awful lot of work. But I thought. I thought the entire back line played well. I think you're right to point out Matip and Robbo as, as standouts, as well as Ali and Fab. I, I, I think that group, that group of six is monstrously good. Monstrously good. And when you consider the fact that we've got Ibu and Joe Gomez who can come in, we've got Costas who can come in, we've got Keller who we know we can trust. If we could get a decent backup for Fab and a decent backup for Trent, I mean, we could be competing for the quadruple every fucking year. You know, we, we'd be that that strong in that area. Like, we're, we're just so far above what everybody else has. I know City have conceded less goals than us this season. I don't really worry about that type of thing. They play a less risk a less risky game than us. Um, and some of the goals we conceded were just bad goals to concede. 
But uh, we are we are so so good at the back. And Thiago really started to take into form uh, at different points in the game. And once he started to hum, Arsenal just couldn't do anything. Um, right, let's move on. We've got some questions that have come in on the Discord as we're talking. Uh, but I want to ask you a couple of questions first before we do them. So the first question I'm going to go with, your thoughts on your favourite manager, Unai Emery, going to Juventus last night, winning 3-0 and leading Villarreal into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Delighted for Villarreal. Really, really am. And uh, Not, not sure delighted for Unai Emery. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to him in a minute, right? I, I'm not sure I could say I'm delighted that Juventus are out, but I do always very, very much at the minute enjoy when some of these very, very self-important um, directors... Uh, owners and all the rest of it are getting an absolute spanking at the moment. Some of them are very, very outspoken about what should be wanted by the entire planet, and I'm not really having it. I'm not there for it. And so when something like this happens, getting trounced 3-0 on your own turf by what is basically a small local side in Villarreal, as good as they are, um, it's it's always nice to see it's heartening, I think, and to, to not always have the same biggest of names and to always have one or two upsets in the results in the last 16 and even in the quarters I think that's a good thing for the Champions League and for for European football in general so well done to them on Unai I've seen a lot of um, I'm not going to say revisionist but certainly overlooking sort of things from people recently I mean again this was an away win and it's a massive away win and absolutely right this is still a guy who has won three away league games all season long this is not a new thing from him. This was a big win in isolation, for sure. It's not <laughs> going to be something that you can say changes what they are under him or changes their outlook for the next few years or changes what he is as a manager. He can guide teams through two-legged ties in Europe. We already know this. He's been doing it for ages and ages. It's basically what his entire reputation has been built off, and he does it really well. Villarreal are a good side, but they're not a great one because they have certain limitations, not just in spending and squad quality relative to other teams in in the league and in Europe, but also because he is the, still their coach. I mm. do not see them as a threat in terms of going all the way or anything like that because they will be limited by, by individuals there. Yeah, he's the, the kind of guy that you give an underdog team and send him off into a European competition, and he will do well. I mean, he won the Europa League last year. He won it with Sevilla. You know, that, that's the type of thing he does. Uh, three away wins in the league, though, that's, that's fairly good for him. It is. That's, this actually, is a uh, that's, that's quite an upgrade on what he usually does. Away from I, think, I think he went, didn't he go like two seasons where he had like one away he's, win he's, between two he's, seasons or something? Yeah, ridiculous. his final season with Sevilla, he didn't win a single away league game. Still uh, came stunning. stunning stuff. Absolutely stunning. Um, I will also say Juventus... Not a giant right now, you know, a big name no. club, obviously, and one of the, the, the bigger names or whatever, but the, as a team, as a football side, they are they were never among the contenders. This isn't like knocking out PSG or anything like that. No, and when you're playing Danilo as one of your three centre-backs and Alvaro Morata up front, you're kind of asking for a defeat. Uh, if you had to choose between Villarreal or Benfica for Liverpool to face in the next round, who would you prefer? I, I think they're probably the two teams that all the top clubs be looking at and thinking they're, they're, that's the easiest route here. Uh, I'd prefer to play Benfica, I think. Mm. That's what comes to mind immediately. I can't honestly explain why. I think maybe 
you know, we've played Villarreal in the Europa League. Yeah, I think we probably owe Benfica one from the Europa League even before that. So I go for them. But I don't yeah, really want to play back from the Benitez's final year, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, the it was, idea- um, Real Madrid. I want to be honest with you. Yeah, see, I was trying to think of this earlier on two footed. I was thinking like, <clears throat> if you're ranking them, it's for the easiest draw. It's it's probably Benfica, then Villarreal, and then one of the Madrid clubs. Now, obviously, Real are substantially better than Atleti this year, but Atleti are such a pain in the arse to play against. Like, ideally, what I would like is I'd like us to get Benfica, Atleti to get Villarreal, and then the other four to kill each other. And then we can get the winner of Atleti v Real in the semi-final, while two of that other group of really good teams kill each other. And then there's just one of them left for us in the final, and we just pick the bones. That's what I would like. It's not a big greedy. It is a bit greedy, I know. But look, I, I, I think look, we know that basically the draw is going to be Villarreal or Benfica against Man City, and then the other one of those two against like Chesterfield in the semi-finals. And then Man City will play that route to the final. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard they've petitioned to have Barry Town included because they're Welsh, so they think that they count as a European club. Um, next question. Uh, Liverpool have, in recent days, been linked... And, and, and to be fair, this is an ongoing rumour of probably a month or two. Liverpool have been linked with Gavi of Barcelona, who is 17 years old, already a full... Spanish international, sensational player. He's in a bit of a contract dispute with Barcelona. Can you give some people some light on what that is, what the situation is? Does he have a buyout? Is there any possibility to get him out of Barcelona? So, yes, in terms of the contract isn't signed and therefore any of them could depart. Him and Ronald Araujo are pretty much in the same spot that they are still on the contracts that they uh, effectively had when they got promoted from the B team up to the seniors. And obviously that needs updating and renewing and, and lengthening as well. But there are still some restrictions on what Barca can do contracts-wise. And probably more importantly, Barcelona are trying to restructure their overall salary grades, let's say, for, for want of a better word, or structure. You know, where first-team players fit in if they're big signings, academy graduates, star names or whatever. They have been trying to lower that overall, obviously from the uh, excesses, let's say, of yesteryear. And at the minute, they don't actually have an agreement with either of them. Um, every player in Spain, every player in Spain in in the top two leagues has to have a buyout clause. That's that's part of their contract law in Spain. So yes, they do have that. It's usually announced now. It didn't used to be, but if they get them to sign a new one, it's basically going to be like you know three hundred million and upwards. Used to be a high release clause, but one that was fairly attainable, you know, if if they did really, really well and a big club wanted them, but now it just kind of be out of reach stupidity sort of numbers, just to just a token gesture that it's there basically. So if they Is sign, this because of what happened with Neymar, do you think? When that buyout uh, was two hundred million and PSG went, okay. Probably. I mean it, it it's been going upwards for a while now and I, I suppose that's just part of inflation and football inflation anyway. But that was probably the first time a shocking one was reached but I mean even if you think back to like Kepa leaving or all the times we were linked with Iker Munyain and we had to pay his buyout clause and all the rest of that sort of stuff it's been quite a long running thing in Spanish football so now they just give them these massive ones and even like um, 
Mark Kukureya, for example, going to Brighton this year because his release clause was only 10 million or so, and they were trying to upgrade that, and he didn't want to sign a new one. So most of the time now, they just put it sky high, and it doesn't really matter. So I would see it as unlikely that Liverpool would invest whatever the buyout would be. I I think I've seen figures of around 40 to 45 million pounds and then a big salary in a 17-year-old, but he's not every 17-year-old, is he? He's a really special case. Oh, he's crazy talented. He's really, really good. Like he, he came through like playing central midfield, defensive midfield as an attacker midfield. And for the first team, he's played on both sides of the attack in support of the attack. He's all over the place. Like under Kuman, obviously the formation was chopping and changing nearly every couple of games by the time his, uh, his run was coming to an end. I wouldn't say it's a concern, but definitely you have to look at what happened with Bedri last year and really mm. overplaying him and then played at the uh, the Euros and then at the Olympics and then he spent a long time out injured. You've got to be careful that that sort of thing doesn't happen to him again. He's 17, he's played over, two and a half, I think he's approaching 2,200 minutes, something like that this season already. Of course, they did uh, the same to Ansu Fadi as well, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Overplayed him and then he got hurt. Yeah, and he's back out again now. He may not actually come back before the end of this season now, so... It's it's definitely a concern. Barcelona, again, a bit of a special case in that they had to rely on the academy players coming through because of the well crapness of the seniors that they bought and the fact that they had to keep loading them out. They still own people like Pjanic and all the rest of them. So I would say, assuming he stays there, it, it, it might be the case that you look at a little bit of a reduced role for him next season, maybe only like you know 15 starts in La Liga rather than what's probably going to end up being 25, 26, something like that. Plenty of sub-appearances still in all the competitions and that, but just not having to be a first-team player at 18 years of age as he'll be then. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think that's very fair. I think it, it speaks a lot to how far they've fallen, though, that you know, in three successive seasons they've ran Fatty, Pedri and now Gavi into the ground, and it doesn't speak well for the long-term future of either of, of any of the three of them that they've all had. Like, well, Gavi hasn't yet, fingers crossed he won't, but the other two have had substantial injuries that have kept them out for a long time. Um, not a question, but I did see us linked to Federico Valverde today, apparently getting quite frustrated in his role at Real Madrid. And I know you love him. Uh, he could be a very, very good signing if we could get him out of Madrid. But my final question is in relation to the England squad. I want your thoughts. I have many Um what, what what's your overall thoughts on this England squad? Any surprise exclusions? Anyone you're a bit surprised is included? Um, I don't think it's a surprise. Rashford is out. I suppose that's the first one to start with. He has not been good this season as a whole. I am surprised that Sancho is out because literally over the last what three four weeks is when he's finally started to look like he was last season. Um. A couple of the forwards, I don't think there's anything notable that Watkins and Cavalier are out. They haven't had overly productive seasons, have not been absolutely standout. Cavalier has always been injured. Yeah, Uh, I'm glad Tammy Abraham's in the squad. I think he's had a a good run again with Roma there, and he's playing like a very important role for them overall. There are a couple who are still in the squad, in defence in particular, who I think are not just not deserving of their spot at this point, but like actively keeping out others who are. Fikaya mm. uh, Tamori being out again. I Yeah. I can't get on board with that. I, I really can't. I think he's been in unbelievably good form recently. Kyle Walker not being in, I think, is probably a surprise. Uh, now, Southgate has said, I don't know if you saw this, Southgate said, I had a chat with Kyle. We felt this was an opportunity to have a look at the two younger fullbacks 
These young fullbacks are exciting. We know all there is to know about Kyle. He's a very important player and he will be back with us in June. So it sounds like this was done with Walker and basically giving Walker a bit of a rest because he's had a few injuries and that of late. But uh, Reese James is, is out injured, so... Yeah. Well, I guess Trent's going to get at least one game and he's got you know an opportunity to show that he should have more than one game, I suppose. Um, the bigger question there is obviously which game and who you alongside, because if it's whichever one of them plays, if you come in alongside, I don't know, let's say Connor Cody in a back four, it's a very different job to what you do at club level, isn't it? Mm. If you come in alongside a debutant, Mark Guehi starting, for example, again, you're looking at a very, very different uh, alignment and someone who is maybe not going to be quite as assured as they normally are in performance levels. And I don't know, it's ultimately it is a couple of friendlies. I don't really think that we tend to take too much from England non-competitive matches in terms of the squads. I very rarely see someone have a really good friendly and then they'll play next time. It just seems to be, we'll take a closer look at you, but it doesn't really count. So I want to get your opinion on this before we go on. To, we've got a couple of questions here from the listeners and then we'll, we'll talk about Forrest at the weekend. Um, there's a bit of a kerfuffle, obviously, over the inclusion of Harry Maguire, who has been diabolical for United this season and in particular of late. Ollie Kay has, of course, you know, donned his St. George's Cross and ridden to the rescue to remind people of how good Harry Maguire has been for England at the last two international tournaments, both of which, by the way, ended in failure because England didn't win either of them. Uh, but what kind of message is it really sending to Fikayo Tomore, to Ezri Konza, who probably doesn't deserve being this squad based on form, but should have been in squads for the last 18 months based on form. What sort of message is it sending to them, though, where certain players, Maguire, who's been awful, Stones, who can't get in the City team, Shaw, who's been awful, Mings, who's been awful, what message are you sending to defenders like Fikayo Tamori and, Mar- and Ezri Kanza when these type of guys are getting in the England squad and they're not, no matter how good they play at club level? Is it is it Telling them, go look elsewhere for your international games? Well, I do often wonder, and this dates back to, I think, probably my Emil Heskey watching days, to be honest. Um, If certain players played exactly as they are right now, but at a different club, would they be in? And why is that the case then? Therefore, either whether that's they are and they wouldn't be in elsewhere or they would be in elsewhere. Like Heskey didn't play any differently at all when he moved to Birmingham City, than he did with Liverpool. Like, he was surrounded by not-as-good players, but he didn't play any differently himself. His goal rate was not dramatically different. His hold-up play was increased, if anything like that. But as soon as he went there, he was out the squad. And that sort of got me wondering, and it's happened over and over and over and over again. Mm. If Harry Maguire played right now the same form, but for, let's say, Southampton... Would he be in the squad? Would he be in the Southampton team? <laughs> it's, I mean, it. I understand, like, and, I, and I've said this to you before, and in fact, we've even on this scouted, we've had a, a couple of disagreements before of whether it should count or not. There is absolutely the case that for managers, club level and international, people are picked in the squad, people are picked in the team based on a what they've done before, and b what the manager thinks of them. You know, in terms of a person, whether they think they can rely on them or they feel they have to show support to them or they think it's 
important to have them around or all of these things which you hate the words and people generally classify as intangibles right so there's absolutely that that is the case so i can understand that there are some in a squad who have to be in for those non-specified reasons you know whether whether it's your third choice goalkeeper who barely plays anymore or whether it's harry Maguire who's captain of manchester united or whatever it is but i can't understand and i cannot accept that multiple ones of these players especially in the same area of the team keep out players who are playing as well as tamori is now you've got connor cody harry Maguire, and tyron mings all of which are club captains all of which are centre-backs all of which are not elite and all of which are not in good form. Cody is probably the best form of the three of them at the minute. But Cody no. is a specific player who only does well in the back three. Right, fine. But even so, you know, even if you say you want to have a specified back three person in there in the squad in case you want to play that in one of the yeah, games. Yeah, you go with him. Fine. Yeah, not all three of them is my point. You don't, you no, can't, I, I, I totally not. agree. I do totally I agree with you. I would even say over the last... I don't know, three weeks. And I, I presume Southgate's obviously going to be taking more time frame than that into account because it's taken him all season to put Gwehi in, for example, who has been pretty good all the way through the season. Mm. But over the last three weeks or so, Callum Chambers has been better than Tyrone Mings has. And yes. he's playing some to back alongside him at Villa. And Ezri Konza was better for him for a year and a half and didn't get in the squad mm. ahead of him. So I don't really know what you can say to Tamori in terms of performance level because it's obviously got to be something more. Maybe when he was in the squad... Uh, last time around, he, I don't know, he didn't gel with the with the squad too well or he didn't settle in or he had, I, I have no idea. I'm just making stuff up here that it could be, you know, it, it's probably not any of those things. And he's just saying his time will come and basing it on nothing much. Just the fact that he wants to keep the squad as together as possible. And it has a very, very good um, mentality and a good morale and all the rest of that stuff. But you still have to, I mean, it's all well and good leaving someone out of the squad and saying the door's never shut. but when they're in the form of their life, when they're challenging for a title in a major league, playing really, really well, you're hoping that then they're going to go on and get international uh, European experience next season. Mm. This is surely the kind of thing you want to be building around for the next four or five years. That's the thing. Like, I, get, I get that Maguire has done a lot better for England than he has for United. But does that mean that... If Ezri Konza played exactly the same games for England that Maguire has, that England wouldn't have been better? Because, like, if you put better players in, you should get better, unless you're making a mess up somewhere else. You're right to say you don't need the three of them in. And and Mark Wehi, by the way, currently the captain of Crystal Palace uh, because of injuries, but he's emerged as a leader there. In midfield, you've got Henderson. Now, he's in for the same reasons. And I do wonder if Calvin Phillips was fit, who would drop out. My guess would be it would be Conor Gallagher. But again, that's nonsense because Gallagher has been far better than Henderson this season. You've also got Declan Rice, club captain. James Ward-Prowse, club captain. So, in total, in this squad, you've got Cody, Maguire, Mings, Henderson, Rice and Ward-Prowse as captains. And you've got Harry Kane, who's your England captain. Like, how many of them do you need? Because four of them don't warrant their place in the team based on the squad based on form. I can accept taking Henderson because you don't really have any other midfield options with Phillips out. And I'd accept one of the centre-backs, but the other two should not be in. Mings can only be in because he's left-footed. That's the only logical reason is that he's left-footed. Because he's not a good defender. 
And Tamore and Kanza are just vastly superior defenders to him and Maguire. They're just va Fakaro Tamore might be the best defender in Serie A right now. He's in the conversation one way or another. He has been outstanding this season. For AC for an AC Milan team, by the way, who are top of Serie A. Harry Maguire has been garbage for a United team floundering in the Premier League. Mings is captain of a mid-table team. Cody's Wolves are having a good season, no question. They're doing well by their level, but they're still not a particularly good team. Um, I, I just, it's so weird. I, I really find it so weird. Like, again, guys mentioned that they talk up Co- uh, Mings as a personality and Cody as a personality. How do we know that Konza and Tamore aren't those same type of personalities in that group? Like, Tamore would walk into that group and immediately know very well Gallagher, Mount, Rice, Gwehi, and James, and and Tammy Abraham, because they all came through the Chelsea Academy around the same time. So he already has existing relationships with all of those guys. It It's just bizarre to me. It really is bizarre to me. And of course, the best English centre-back is unfortunately not in the squad because he can't get a game at Liverpool, being Joe Gomez. But when the England centre-backs are Cody, Gwehi, Maguire, Ming, Stones and White. And why is there that many of them? Why do you need six centre-backs? I do have to point out that the three best English centre-backs, Gomez, Tamore and Konza, aren't there. And it's just weird to me. It is just weird to me. Um, We've got a couple of questions that came in. I'm just going to ask this one outright. This is from Sandeep. Who's winning the title? You don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I'd be interested to hear. I answered before the season started. Liverpool are winning it. Outstanding. Willology is asking the following. Be interested in hearing you guys weigh in on the, the poll that Dan Kennett put out yesterday. Who is the better coach? Brendan Rodgers or Mikel Arteta? Now, you know I don't like Brendan at all, but Brendan's a better coach in my view. You don't like Arteta either. <laughs> I don't. But I like I like him as a person more than I like Brendan. But Brendan, to me, is is comfortably the better coach. Arteta hasn't shown anything yet. No. Now, this is um, pretty much follows on to what I said in the Arsenal Scouted podcast, to be honest. Um, we haven't seen enough of Arteta yet to know what he is or how good he is or what his ceiling is. It's still really, really early days for him as a coach. He's had a couple of full seasons now, which is obviously positive, but he's had no other clubs. He's had no other responsibility other than a rebuild where he seemingly got a lot more time than you would expect uh, any other manager to get at this kind of a club. Obviously, they realised that there was a lot of work to do, and he's. I think he's done quite well so far, but you cannot say definitively what kind of a coach he is. Rodgers has shown over quite a long period of time that he's capable of improving players. He's capable of uh, establishing a really good um, style of play at teams on the ball at the very least. We've also seen what Rodgers' limitations are over a long period of time. Yeah, I think the key to see, seeing who is better will obviously only come up once Arteta has got another at least five or six years behind him, because at this point of Rogers' career, he was still what Reading, Watford, somewhere like that. So yeah, it's not it's not really. He, a he might have got the Swansea by then, but that's a bit yeah, possibly so. So at the minute, Rogers comfortably is the better coach. We'll see, obviously later on, and how much of a, a coaching versus managerial role Arteta takes on longer term, because obviously he's a bit more involved now than Rogers is allowed to be at most of the clubs that he's mm. been at recently. And also, let's see how Arteta does when it's not one game a week. 
let's see how he does when he's got a balanced European football, when he's got a bigger squad and there's people coming knocking on his door asking, why am I not on the team? You know, it, it's been fairly easy for him. He got a lot of leeway at that club. If he hadn't won the FA Cup in that first season, he may well have gone in the summer because he, he, he failed last season. He finished eighth. He finished eighth. That's unacceptable for Arsenal to finish eighth. And he did it twice. Um, our friend Sam Ty, this one's come in from Isaac, uh, did a ranking of the top five defensive midfielders in his own podcast recently. I forget the order, but he did have Fabinho as the number one. But Sam's top five were Fabinho, Brozovic, Casemiro, Kimmich and Rodri. Is there anyone you would put ahead of anyone in that group? Or do you think young Sam has nailed the top five? Give me a minute and I'll go and have a look at the conversation we had about it. (laughs) We were discussing it for about two full days before he actually made his uh, decision and put them in the order that he wanted them. And we had a good few others who were in the conversation. A couple of younger players, obviously, I think Charmini might have been mentioned a fair few times and probably it was taken on longer term in the end, so he didn't get in. I don't have any issues with those players. Obviously, I don't think that's... I mean, if you're talking about pure defensive midfielders, like Fabinho plays for us as a six, you probably don't include Kimmich in it in the way that yeah, he plays. Yeah, that would be my one, my yeah, one but, little thing there. I don't think he's actually a defensive midfielder. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, this was ultimately decided based on role relative to people around them and obviously how they have played previously, where he's played as a six for Germany before we've seen that. So, uh, player quality-wise, I don't really take any issue with that. I don't think Brozovic has been quite his best this season, for example. But again, it was. I think taking over a slightly longer period of time and what they've achieved and all that, rather than just how good they are this season. Fabinho number one is the only important thing. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree. I think in terms of body of work, that that is the five. Um, again, Kimmich wouldn't be in my group because I, ju- I just wouldn't class him as a defensive midfielder. I think he's very, very good as a controlling midfielder in a two. You play him next to a box-to-box type of player, and they do a bit more of the destroying work. Um, I'm glad he didn't fall into the trap of including N'Golo Kante, who, again, not actually a defensive midfielder. He's a destroying central midfielder who goes box-to-box. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't really... Chouameni would be one, for sure. I think Bubakar Kamara is worth a mention because he's been excellent there for 18 months with Marseille. Outside of them, I mean, I think well, Will Fendidi is worth a mention. I wouldn't have him in my top five, but I think he's worth a mention. I think Calvin Phillips is worth a mention. Um, I, I really like Thomas Suchek, but again, more suited to a two than a lone six. And he, he is he is a pure defensive midfielder. like He is a lamppost in the middle of the pitch um, and allows Rice a lot of freedom, but... Again, I'm glad he didn't put Rice in because, again, not a defensive midfielder now. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have any real complaints with the with the five. I think Sam has hit the nail on the head. Like you said, I don't think Brozovic has been at his best, but he's still been good. Uh, Casemiro also hasn't been at his best, but he has been good. And he is aging now. What is he, 29-30? Uh, Rodri and Fab have been on a different level this season to, to all the rest. And I would include Kimmich in that. He's been good for Bayern. Those two have been incredible for Liverpool and City. 
I think the only other one who was still in the conversation was Sergio Busquets, obviously based on body of work. But... Yeah, you're grandfathering him in based yeah. on, you know, a decade right. of being maybe the best ever in the position, but yeah, not now. Not my now. response to my response to him being in the conversation was uh, he is an ode to plantations of oak trees at this point. <laughs> to which I got told I was being disrespectful. <laughs> And and he was right. You were a bit disrespectful. How dare you disrespect the great man? Mm. He'll be 50 and still better than a lot of defensive midfielders, purely on the base of he'll know where he should be. He won't be able to get there, but he'll know where he should be. And when you give him the ball, he's just never going to give it away. Um, but yeah, I, I, think he, I think he's nailed it. Uh, right, let's talk briefly then. We've got about 10, 15 minutes left. Let's talk briefly about Liverpool versus Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup quarterfinal this weekend. Forest have had a decent run to this point. They knocked out Arsenal. They beat them 1-0 with a Lewis Graben goal. They knocked out Leicester City. Walloped them 4-1. Uh, Zinkernagel, who's in on loan from Watford, Brennan Johnson, Joe Worrell, and Jed Spence with the goals. Ian Acho with the consolation for Leicester. Uh, they beat Huddersfield 2-1, went 1-0 down. Uh, Thomas Lees scored the first goal. But Sam Surich and uh, Ryan Yates with the goals to drag Forrest through. Notable that they've played, this will be their fourth home game in the FA Cup. But have you seen much of them this season? If so, what do you make of them? I have not. I have not been um, too concentrated on the championship, same as most years. I have seen a couple of games of Forest. Uh, I saw one after we got drawn against them, obviously, and I had just by coincidence seen one beforehand. So I saw their win over Reading, uh, which I think was two weeks ago now. I can't remember now. One week ago, something like that. Uh, so they scored like really, really early on, and I'm not really sure how that affected their performance and Reading's performance against them based on what might have happened otherwise. Uh, I was a bit disappointed in Reading because they still had quite a lot of the players who they had from like two seasons ago when I thought they were really, really good promotion candidates. And they went fairly close but fell away towards the end of the season. But here they were abysmal. And they kind of let Forrest just completely dominate play, really, really play through them with ease. I very much like the the use of the, the wing-backs and sort of the, the 10 Garner playing in behind the two forwards. That was quite impressive. Lots of interchange uh, of positions between sort of the front three as it were um, lots of build-up play down the flanks but not just in terms of blind running as as high and as hard as you can go and then whipping crosses it was a lot of um, really good triangles really good passing movements um, decent build-up play throughout quite aggressive off the ball as well to try and win it back quickly and I, like I say I'm not going to take too much from that because they went ahead after a minute mm. and maybe that did really really affect the impact of the game but it was impressive from what I saw at least and two or three really strong standout individuals I really like this Forest team I mean they they had an absolute nightmare of a start to the season they lost six of their first seven when Steve Cooper took over they'd won one game drawn one and lost six in the league they were bottom of the championship and Chris Hutton got given the heave ho um, since he's taken over, they've only lost four games. They've gone from 24th. They were as high as sixth at one point. They're currently eighth. They're one point outside of the playoffs, and they do have a game in hand 
which if they won it, I believe would move them up to fifth in the table. Let me just confirm that. Uh, it would actually move them up to fourth in the table. They would jump Borough, QPR, Luton and Blackburn if they won that game in hand. So Cooper really has turned things around. I think he's a very good manager. He did really good work, obviously, at the England underage level, uh, won the under-17 World Cup, finished as runners-up in the European Championships. With Swansea, he took them to the playoffs twice with patchwork teams that he had to put together using the loan market, which, again, I thought was very, very impressive. I thought he'd get a Premier League job in the summer. I was a little bit surprised that he didn't. He grew, There was interest in him, I think, from Palace and a couple of others, but nothing came of it. Then I was surprised when he resigned, but apparently there had been a bit of a falling out with the ownership and it had been coming. He'd sort of told them he wanted to leave and then agreed to sort of stay on, see them through pre-season until they could get a new manager in. Um, and I was very surprised when he took the Forest job and Forest fans seemed against the appointment. Like, first of all, you're bottom of the division. And secondly, this guy is a really good manager. And for all the uh, Swansea fans who were delighted that he was going because they didn't like the style of football, well, you guys are 15th. And you've been shit most of the season. So, you know, swings and roundabouts there. Um, There's some really good players in this Forest team. Jed Spence, I've talked about a bunch for a couple of years. I really like him. I like Joe Worrell, the centre-back. He came through their academy. He's a natural-born leader. He's the club captain. He's the type of guy you can rely on. I think he's a Premier League player in the making. I do like Scott McKenna, another young centre-back. They brought in, he's not young, he's 25 now. They brought him in from Aberdeen, and he's been very good. Um, the midfield, it's a lot of guys that work really hard. Like Ryan Yates has a bit of quality. James Garner has a lot of quality, and in truth, should probably be back at Man United starting because he's probably better than anything they have going in midfield right now. Jack Colback does a lot of graft for them. He's limited, but you know knows his role. Zinkernagel in on loan from Watford, talented player, didn't really work from you know with Watford in terms of getting an opportunity. He's been really good since joining Forest. Lewis Graben been around years and years reliable goal scorer, not the most talented player, but a reliable goal scorer. Keenan Davis is in on loan from Villa. Leads the line well, won't ever get you a ton of goals, but he's a big burly striker. Sam Surridge I do like. He was at Bournemouth, was very highly regarded as a young player, had a really good loan spell, I just can't remember who it was to. Went to Stoke in the summer for a decent chunk of money. Didn't work. And then they sold him to Forrest in January at a substantial loss, which I thought was weird. The star of the show was Brennan Johnson. This kid is, I think he's really special. 20 years of age, turns 21 in May. Welsh international, seven caps already. Last season, he was at Lincoln on loan, scored 13 and 49 in League One, 10 and 40 in the league. Jumped up into the championship this season, back to Forest. He has 11 goals and 36 in the league. 12 and 38. And for a wide player of his age, I think that's a really good return. He's really exciting on the ball. He's very, very direct. He has absolutely no fear. He can, but when he plays on the right of the front three, him and Spence combine really, really well. This is a, it's a good team. It's well balanced. There's a, a number of 
absolutely Premier League caliber players in that squad where if they did come up, it wouldn't take a massive overhaul to get them Premier League ready, not to do anything more than maybe survive, but you get the point. They've got Max Lowen on loan, who I forgot to mention from Sheffield United. Good left wing back, never really understood why he didn't get more opportunities at Sheffield United. But the squad as a whole is is very well balanced. They are reliant on um, on loans, of course, because that's just how it is in the championship when you don't have a huge budget. But there's good depth there. I mean, Jonathan Panzo is one of the backup centre-backs. He's a talented player with a big future ahead of him. Uh, they brought in the French kid, Mabeso, from PSG, PSG's academy. He's highly rated. Uh, Figueiredo, this Portuguese guy, he's another good player. Like They've got a lot of good players in a number of key positions. The only one, I, I'm not massively keen on Bryce Samba, the keeper. I think he's a little bit, he's a little bit chaotic for my liking. Like he's just a little bit always on the verge of lunacy. And he's a good shot stopper. He's got great reflexes, but he's just always on the verge of doing something a little bit silly. And, you know, he's been in the PFA Championship Team of the Year a couple of years ago. So he's proven he can do it over a season. But there's just times you watch him and you just think, well, you don't know what you're doing next. Like he'll come for a cross. He won't get it. And then rather than retreat to his goal, he'll go chasing the ball. And you'll, he'll find himself on the edge of his penalty area with the whole defence behind him. And everybody looking at him going, like, what are you doing over there? But he's not, he's not a bad keeper. He's not a, he's not a negative impact or anything. I, I just, he wouldn't be for me. But no, I do really like the squad. I, I really like Steve Cooper. I think he's got a really bright future. Isn't he 42? I think he's going to manage in the Premier League for a long, long time. And obviously he's a former, Liverpool Academy coach was at the club, came in under Benitez, uh, survived under Hodgson, was there under Kenny, left while Rogers was at the club. Um, there were some rumours about why he left, but we'll just say he went to work with the England squad and uh, is happy enough doing that. Obviously then Swansea Forest, I, I think he's going to be a very good manager for a long time. I think he, of... Of the good coaches that have come out of our academy and gone on elsewhere, I do think he is the best by a considerable margin. Uh, and I think this will be a tough game. You know, they beat Arsenal, they beat Leicester, they wallop Leicester. They gave Leicester a whooping. And I think they'll they'll cause us issues just with the speed of their transition and with how direct they are, especially down that right side. If it's Spence right wing back and Johnson right wing, I think they'll give Andy Robertson some trouble. Um, they're less of a threat down the left, which is fine for us because obviously Trent gets a lot less help than Robbo does. So, you know, we kind of want them attacking down down our right uh, because that's where we're stronger. Although it's surely, not going, to be, yeah, it's, it's surely not going to be Trent and Robbo, though, and all the rest of the first teamers for this game. Well, Costas is ill. Costas is ill, so I don't. I assume it's going to be Robbo, and Milner's ill, so I assume it's going to be Trent. Yeah. So th- that's my only. Like I- I'm thinking, we're going to see Quivin, Trent, Ebu, Joe, and Robbo as the back as the backline, because 
Milner and, and Robertson are, are, are Milner and Costas rather are ill. Would you be that tempted be to go Joe at right back to at least rest one of them and leave one of the centre backs in, Matip or Van Dyke? Yeah, but it would have to be Virgil. It would have to be Virgil. I think I'd go Joe, Ebu, Virgil because Ebu is more comfortable on the right than he is on the left. And if I'm bringing him in, I want him on the right hand side. I'd rather Ebu and Virgil. I think because that partnership is a bit more established as well yeah. than the than the Ebu Matip one, which was probably Ebu's worst game of the season was when he played with Matip. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, if, if Costas is fit, Costas starts. I wouldn't be against going if going Joe, Ebu, Virgil, and Costas if. Costas is ready to go. I think that's absolutely fine. I don't know that I'd want to go with, you know, an entirely changed backline. I think I'd want some sort of grown up in the room and and not name James Milner. I really don't want to see Milner at right back. I really don't want to see Milner at right back. What about Connor Bradley then? No, no, he's no? he's too young. He's too inexperienced, and he's he hasn't looked ready when he's played in the first team this season. He just doesn't look ready to me. He looks like a kid that needs to go on loan next summer at like a League One site, League One squad, and get reps, get minutes, and and grow a bit. Like he's a very, very lightweight kid. Changes all change in midfield. I would assume. I think it's quite important for this one. I I don't know. Can, can we like? I assume I assume Naby and Curtis Jones will start. Yeah, but I think he's got to play Henderson or Fabinho as the six. No ox. Like though? I don't. If you play ox, you can't play. Like you, I, I don't think he's going to go with ox, Curtis, and Naby. <laughs> no, that doesn't. I don't think that's happen. a real midfield, and I certainly don't want to see James Milner play as the six either. Um, I, I don't maybe, think it's a game for Morton. Maybe I think for, for cup context, it'd be Henderson out of the two of them. Then, yeah, I think it could be Henderson who could do with a game with the six, just to kind of get a bit of form going again. Um, I think I'd go Jones, Henderson, Naby as the three and keep Fabinho on the bench. Because Fabinho's going off, obviously, to play for Brazil, like Henderson's going to play for England, but like Henderson's going to play a couple of friendlies on his doorstep, Fab's heading to the other side of the world. So I'd probably be less likely to play Fab. And then up front, I'm guessing Bobby starts through the middle. Yes. Jota starts and Paki. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? Taki and Jota either side of Bob. And then Origi is the sub. And then Origi, and I think Diaz will probably be on the bench. I think Ox is probably on the bench. Uh, Harvey should be hopefully on the bench. I keep Fab on the bench just, you know, because I don't want to give Henderson the 90. I'd rather give him 60 and give Fab 30. Um, yeah, and then whoever else filling it out. But I do think we'll need to go with, you know, a, a high level of respect for this team yeah. because if you look at it over the last, like over the, the course of the season, they have picked up 58 points. Uh, from basically, what is it? Hang on, sorry, fifty-eight points. 
many games have they played? They've played 35 games, 36 games. 58 points from 29 games, which is basically that under Cooper, basically, or 57 points it would be because they have one point before he got there. But, you know, if, if Cooper had been there all season long, I think they're probably second in the division if he's there since the summer having this effect. So they're a borderline Premier League team in that sort of form over the last 29 games. Now, again, it's the bottom end of the Premier League team, but still, I do think we'll have to go with a relatively strong squad if we want to win and progress and keep this dream of the quadruple alive. Which we definitely have, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Let me see. We have one more question for you. Oh, what's your prediction for the cup game? Oh, uh, I'll go for a 2-0. I'll go 3-1 just because cha- I think we'll change you know, a lot of the defence, but I, I do think we win. Last question before we go then. This is from Tom James. You can have one of the following scenarios for the rest of this season. You can win the Premier League to go with the Carabao Cup, or you can win the FA Cup and Champions League to go with the Carabao Cup. Which do you prefer? I think I'd take the Premier League. I think I'd go for the league. I think we need need to clock a couple of Premier League titles under Klopp. You know, Mm. just... Just to keep us going, because after he does depart, it could well be a while again afterwards, because a changeover of that magnitude is not easy to deal with, regardless of playing squad quality. So I think I'd probably go for that, and it would be fairly epic to have mounted such a comeback, and it would be an enormous one. And obviously the overdue celebrations from the last title as well are are sort of pent up, aren't they, a little Mm. bit? So it would be nice to sort of get rid of all of that all of yeah that two parades and one type of job yeah and um as much yeah. as i would obviously love to win the champions league you know any point i do think that with cup games even if you're the best team even if you play really well if you get to a cup semi-final that's like exceptional in my eyes you've mm. done as much as you possibly can anything can happen in a semi-final or a final it really really can i mean we've been on both ends of that even just against Milan, the two games, we won the one we shouldn't have and we didn't win the one that we should have. But <laughs> other ones as well, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man yeah. United, loads of finals don't go the way you need them to, or even semi-finals, for example, or you can just have a, a shit day or someone key get injured or sent off early. Cup games, the, the knockout nature of them, even if you're the best, even if you do everything perfectly, sometimes it just goes against you and there's nothing you can do about it. A league you've got a lot of time to get it right and you have to be really, really, really good to do it. And so I think I would this year go for that. Yeah, and I, I think I'm the same. I think I am the same. I think I'd rather win the, the Premier League. Although to win three in one season, so you know, you get the FA Cup as well, that does kind of sway me. Even though like I know the FA Cup is disrespected these days and all that kind of stuff. Still, you're getting three trophies in one year. I think that's a hell of an effort. Not many teams do that. Um, so look, regardless, if we just win the FA Cup, if we push City right to the end and we get the Champions League semi-final and go out and end the season with the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup, you won't hear any complaints from me because for me, that's a good season. Like I've said this before, the minimum for us should be 
in the title mix and a domestic cup. That should be considered the standard. That's where we need to get to. That's where United were under Fergie. It's where City have been. It's what Chelsea have done under the Abramovich reign. I get that we don't have the money, but we've got the squad. We have enough money to keep us going. We have a history of being in this position. This is what we should be doing every single year. So if all we do is win the Carabao Cup and FA Cup, but push City to the end and you know get to the Champions League semi-finals, then go out, I'll, I'll be happy enough. I think that's a good season, um, especially considering I think we're going to be even better next year. Um, say we don't win the Champions League, though. Who's the least offensive winner of the Champions League if it's not us? Because I kind of feel like it's... <laughs> right, let's take Benfica out of it. <laughs> and we know that Emery's not winning it because he's just no. not good enough to win it. So we'll take those two out. There's six... And then we take all out. There's five left. There's the two English clubs, Chelsea City. There's the two Madrid clubs. And there's Bayern. It feels like it's Bayern because... You know, like, I mean, Real Madrid have won it enough. No one wants to see Chelsea or City win anything because they're sports-watching cheats. And Atleti upset a lot of people with how they play. Now, I would love to see Simeone (laughs) win it for him, but I don't think it's realistic that they will win it at all. So I I think it's probably Bayern. Well, I would personally pick Atletico. I think it would be, you know, if I'm just choosing, one, they knocked out United, so that's always fun. Uh, (laughs) Two, it's a Spanish team and it's... uh... I think, again, always a good thing if, if it's not going to be a Premier League side. I prefer it to be a Spanish side, obviously, from a personal point of view. Yeah. And I think after a couple of near misses and obviously losing in the final in the way that they did at least one of the times, ideal scenario, if we don't win it, they beat Real Madrid in the final. Yeah, yeah, to be fair. To be fair, that that is it. The only thing better would be them beating City in the final. Just to see Pep look really upset, you know, with his little bald head. Just to see him look really upset, knowing that in the days to come, he'll be crying to his owners that he doesn't have enough squad depth and he needs another 200 million to spend. And, you know, his fullbacks aren't ideal and he's only spent 250 million on fullbacks. So let's get another one in the door. Um, I, 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 But I do take pleasure from watching lose because will go. He might explode with joy if anger filled joy because he doesn't really do happiness. But still, um, Atleti winning, yeah, for for Simeone that would absolutely be the one. But yeah, of the clubs, I think have a real chance. I think there are five: us, Chelsea, City, Real, and Bayern. Bayern is probably the new one I could really stomach winning it if it's not us because God watching either those two sports washing cheats win it would be horrendous. And Real, I'm just bored of watching Real win the Champions League. You know they've won it what six, seven times, seven times in the last twenty five years. It's enough. It's enough. Go away. Uh, we we'll leave it there. Anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, I've. Put a piece in the chat group. I'll put it on Twitter as well. There's a, a piece from last night's game against Arsenal and a couple of words on our goalkeeper and our centre-backs from that match, following on from a piece that I did before the game, which looked at how few chances we gave up and all the rest of it. Um, the only other thing I will quickly touch on ahead of the international week is 
At last, Christopher Nkunku in the France squad. Yes. Yes. About time. Didier Deschamps. He might be the worst. We should do- we'll do this for a podcast at some point. He might be, I think, one of the worst managers to ever win a major international trophy. I think they won it in spite of him. I genuinely think he's, I think he's awful. I think he just, he does the same thing Southgate does. Picks Dross, who don't deserve to be in the squad. And there's less Dross with France than there is with England, but still. Um, and Kunk, here's one for you before we go. Just one to kind of mull over. Leonardo's gone. Okay. He's, they're getting rid of him. They're probably getting rid of Pochettino. They're going to appoint me and you. You're going in as director of football. I'm going in as the head coach. I say to you, I'm not working with Neymar. Just get him, get, get him rid of him. Get rid of him. Would you stake it all to get rid of Neymar and go all in for Nkunku and then try and sell Mbappe on the dream of, you know, we're going to build a French team of the best French talent. We're going to go and get, say, Moussa Diaby. We're going to go and get Chouameni. We're going to see if we can get Camavinga out of Madrid. And those two with Verratti will be our midfield. We'll build the defence around Marquinhos. But again, we're going to focus in on going for French players. We're going to create a real pathway from our academy. Would it, A, would it be something, would it be what you do there? And B, would it make them less offensive to people if they invested heavily in French players, the best French players, either at academy level and develop them, and then at senior level as well. Would that make them less offensive? Um, it possibly would. I mean, there's still going to be, you know, the whole thing of where the money comes from is, is I think, the main point of offence of and contention. So that's not going to change. Using academy players would obviously mark a massive sea change because we have filled podcasts worth of content over the class players they've let go because they mm. just won't play them. Uh, so that would be a thing. If I it, honestly, if I'm taken over, first thing that I'm doing is I'm getting rid of that foul-mouthed, arrogant head coach we've appointed, Dave Hendrick, and I'm getting rid of Sergio Ramos. You can take him along with you. So you go. Not a bit of us, Laurent Blanc. Come on, in you come, mate. Oh God, <laughs> long ball all the way. No, no. Uh, that, long, I think, long ball I think... and racism. <laughs> the way forward and PSG. <laughs> Um, I, I, I would I would say that th- there seems to have been a plan from them which is a little bit um, haywire and a little bit scattergun and a little bit more based on reputation more than nationality, but as long as they are French, it still counts. So we've seen them be linked with uh, Kante, we've seen them be linked with Pogba, and obviously they already have Mbappé, they, they went out on a limb to sign a couple of players. So Nkunku is a a bit of a different case because obviously he was there beforehand. You know, is it going to be mm. a case of he would actually even bother to go back after they didn't give him a chance, really? Uh, I would not imagine that everybody would be inclined to do that. You know, Barcelona over the last 10 years have been exactly the same. There have been really, really good young players that they let go, didn't really give a chance to, and then when they tried to get them back afterwards, they were basically told where to go. Cucurea is only the most recent one, but Alex Grimaldo is still at Benfica. In fact, we've spoken about today another one there, there have been several of them along the way and i don't really think you can blame them you know it's one thing to go Agreed. progress your career and go to uh clubs which can win titles and stuff but if a club of that magnitude and that money wants you probably so do other ones yeah that's absolutely fair it is fair you know you, you have to sell them hard on the idea of coming home and like you say it doesn't necessarily always work out now i'd imagine when cucurella and grimaldo were turning down Barcelona. It also had a lot to do with the fact that neither of them wanted to play under Ronald Koeman. 
But, you know, you'll have that. Uh, we will leave it there then for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Make sure you're reading Carl's work in The Independent. Like you said, he has a new piece up uh, entitled Alison Highlights the Value of the Elite as Liverpool Win at Arsenal. Do check that out. Check out all his work, wherever it may be. Follow him on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Follow Guy Drinkle, producing in the background, at Guy Drinkle. And uh, listen to the two-footed pod in the Daily Red every day. Take care. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.